Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to today's edition of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. This is the first show of February 2024. And for those of you who are maybe not financial aid fans, you might be unaware of the fact that February is Financial Aid Awareness Month. And so it's the first day of February, and we thought we'd kick it off by welcoming one of our college finance experts, Lori Peltier, back to the show. Hey, Lori. Hi, Ian. So we've got, we're going to be aware of financial aid today. And when we were talking about this in advance of the show, this is very much a back to basics kind of conversation. We want folks to just get the lay of the land. And we know that we have a lot of new listeners that'll come in. Maybe you've been recommended to listen to this from a friend. You might have a student who's a freshman or a sophomore in high school, and you're just starting to figure out some of the different components of applying to college. So this is a nice orientation to some of the basics that maybe you were too afraid to ask. So Lori, let's just start with what is financial aid? Right. So financial aid, or some people call it financial assistance, is a way for a student to receive funds to help reduce the cost of college. It comes in various forms, um, and every student gets something different depending on their situation. But the major forms of financial aid are grants and scholarships, which are free money, that doesn't have to be paid back. It doesn't have to be worked for. It's basically just a reduction of the cost because mm-hmm. a grant or a scholarship has been applied as a deduction to the cost of the college. Um, and then there are loans. And so many times I hear from families, I applied for financial aid and I didn't get any. All I got was a loan. Well, the loans that we're talking about for financial aid are student loans, a loan in the student's name, and uh they can be interest-free. So an interest-free student loan that you can't get anywhere else. You can't walk off the street into a bank and get this. So you have to apply for financial aid to get this interest-free student loan. Um, And it doesn't really change your overall cost of college. It changes when you pay for college. Mm -hmm. So it would reduce your cost by having this student loan, um, but you would pay the loan back after the student graduates. The student would then be in a position, they've got their college degree, they're working, they can pay the loan back. So that's the second category. The third category is work study. Work study is different. Um, It is a part-time job on campus, um, sometimes even off campus, where the student's Uh, has the ability to have a job where they earn money to help pay for their expenses. There's a lot of incidental expenses when going to college, you know, books and supplies and, you know, computer equipment. And um, so the student may need funds that they wouldn't have, you know, access to elsewhere. So working this work-study job uh, that's offered to them would give them the money in a paycheck that they can use to pay for those expenses that are part of the cost of college. So you're, you're drawing a real clarification here where some folks, when we talk about financial aid, they're just thinking about the first category, the free money that you get Mm -hmm. grants or scholarships, um, sort of no strings attached kinds of money. I mean, sometimes they might be connected to maintaining a certain GPA, Mm -hmm. but you're clarifying here that Financial aid can also include favorable loans, student loans, and then also this work-study program where the student does have to work in order Mm -hmm. to get those earnings, but that's a program that's provided for them. Right. Right. Is there anything else for folks? I mean, it seems to me that all of these forms of aid are coming through the institution. Mm -hmm. They're being granted by the institution where you're you're applying, Um, except maybe scholarships. Is, Is that right? So the funds come from various resources. Okay. Um, grants, grants can come from the federal government, like a federal Pell Grant, 
They can come from the state. A lot of states have a state grant for students who need money. So here in Massachusetts, where I am, we have a Massachusetts state grant that a student can get. And then it comes from the institution itself. So a college would know which students, based on their applications for financial aid, needed money to be able to afford them. And the college has money within their budget that they can offer. So... Um, when a student is evaluated for financial aid eligibility, the school is looking at all of these resources, federal, state, and institutional, to try to put together a, a financial aid package. The loans typically come from the federal government. There are some states that have loans as well, but mm -hmm. the loans that we were discussing were from the federal government. Um, and then work-study is a federal program as well, uh, federally funded. Uh, so so the federal government is a big piece of it. Our tax dollars go into that, those funds that then get handed out to the students who need it to be able to afford college. Okay, that's helpful. Now, we want to talk a little bit about how families can actually acquire financial mm -hmm. aid. Um, you apply to college for admission, mm -hmm. but there's also a process to apply for financial aid. Can you help just to describe what that looks like and what the general timeline is for a financial aid application? Sure. Um, and I think it, it's a good distinction because some students get confused and think, I've done everything I need to do. I've done my application for admission. Yeah, I'm free and clear. And even on the application for admission, sometimes there are some references to financial aid, like, are you interested? Yes or no. And that right. might confuse yeah. a family to think, oh, then I'm done. If I check yes, then I'm done. But no, the school will need a lot of data to try to figure out what you qualify for uh, based on your financial need. So they will capture this data on the financial aid applications. The primary one is called the FAFSA form or the free application for federal student aid. Um, in a typical year, it comes out October 1st. This year, it didn't come out until almost January 1st, and it's right. still kind of in the the testing phase a little bit. There are still some glitches with it. But uh, for those of you with younger children, um, it would be October 1st of senior year is when you fill it out. You'd be reporting the parents' income and assets and family size and, you know, just answer all the questions. Um, it is similar to the admission process in some ways where you can list up to 20 colleges on this form and it would automatically be sent to those 20 colleges all at once. So you just do one application and send it. Uh, so most students are filling it out October, November, maybe December, depending on how they're applying for admission. Um, some colleges, about 200 colleges across the country, have added a second form where they capture more information, and that's called the CSS profile form. Um, so just as it is in admission, in the financial aid process, every school can set their own deadlines they can set their own requirements. So just because you've done it right for one school doesn't mean you've done it right for all the schools on your list. There's yeah. a little bit of, of homework there to figure out what's needed and what's required. But what they're doing with these applications is really just evaluating where is this family financially compared to the price of this school? Do they have the resources to fund this education or do they need help? And can we offer them help? And the calculations that financial aid offices are doing when they're looking at every family's individual circumstances, whether that's only through the FAFSA or through both the FAFSA and the profile, they're coming up typically with a number uh, in terms of what they expect a, and a family can afford. How, right. What is the output of that calculation? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. So on the FAFSA form, the output is called your student aid index or mm -hmm. SAI. It's basically a gauge of where your family is compared to being able to afford the school so that a college financial aid office can evaluate all the applicants and see which ones need the money the most and where their, their money's going to go. Um, so it they change it to an index because they want it to be... Um, I don't know really how to explain that, but um, a gauge of not, you know, they're not thinking this family can reach into their pocket and pull out $3,000 tomorrow. They're right. just saying in the grand scheme of things, your index is 3000 and, you know, the family next to you might be 5000 and the one down the street might be 20000 So it, it's different for every family. 
So they're trying to paint with some broad brushstrokes in terms of these different areas to help get close to a, a solid estimate of what a family might need in order to afford a particular school. Correct. A fair, fair way of saying it. Yes. Yeah, that's a good summary. So with respect to kinds of aid, this application process, I think, can sometimes feel arduous, but is important for a lot of families to go through. Do you have to apply always for every kind of financial aid you might get? Or are there some forms of financial aid that you just receive when you apply to a school, even if you haven't completed a FAFSA or a profile? Right. So there are scholarships that are based on academic merit or how desirable the student is for a school. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes a school will offer that just based off of the admission application and not looking at any financial data. So I don't really include academic or merit-based scholarships as part of financial aid. Mm. It's not really financial assistance because you need it. It's uh, a recruitment tool to get you to go to that school. So, And to confuse it even more is some colleges will call their grants, their, their need-based free money, yeah. scholarships. <laughs> Which they're not. So, they're, they're grants right. that families qualify right. for based on right. their income. Right. Right. So, so that's where the definition between need-based aid, financial aid offered to the family because they financially need help, mm-hmm. versus merit-based aid that's based on the student's standing or desirability. And I remember a discussion that we had internally here in College Coach, and I want to say it was five, six years ago, but we really wanted to make sure that we weren't talking about our college finance experts as financial aid experts, Mm -hmm. because that's just one pool of funding that families might have access to when they apply. There are a lot of other different spaces, but when we talk about financial aid, Mm -hmm. we're really thinking about those three buckets that you established at the start of the segment. Correct. Now, some folks that we'll talk to might say, look, I'm not super confident with our income level that we're going to qualify for any kind of financial aid. It always strikes me that people speak with some degree of certainty there. Um, mm-hmm. Even if they are they haven't gone through any kinds of calculations, they make mm-hmm. assumptions. Um, what would you say to folks who are thinking about, well, maybe I should apply for aid or maybe I shouldn't? Um, it seems like a headache is it really mm-hmm. worth it to me? So every family's different, but most of the time applying is going to be the right way to go so that you can have access to student loans if you need them. Um, you'll have an application on file in case things change in the future. Uh, some schools have access to specific scholarships if you just apply for financial aid. So you know, it's a case-by-case basis, but I do think it's something that a family should evaluate as they go through the admission process of, are we going to apply yes or no? Why might we? Why might we not? Uh, And there are calculators, like you said, that can help a family predict whether they do qualify based on income. Um, And oftentimes it can depend on the schools that they're applying to. There are colleges who specifically say, if you want access to our merit scholarships, you need to complete the financial aid application. And that makes sense. Um, so oftentimes they families will do it at least freshman year. And then if they realize that it's not going to be worthwhile for them, they, they skip it the future years. But if they are receiving aid, you do have to apply every year. Okay. That's a, that's a very important clarification mm-hmm. as well. Now I'm going to finish this segment with a selfish question. <laughs> My daughter's a fifth grader. She's heading into sixth grade next year. <laughs> that's the start of middle school. And that means College is not too far away. For those of us who have younger students, how can we start getting acquainted with financial aid and trying to understand what we might have access to vis-a-vis our family circumstances now? Should I just wait and ask that question later, or is there something that that I can start to do in terms of homework? Uh, That's a a good question. I, I think it's too early unless you really think that your family financial situation is going to stay status quo for the next six years. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are um, calculators on each college's website. So if you, you know, you knew 
Stanford was in your wheelhouse, that you, that's where you wanted your daughter to go, you could go to Stanford's website and do their net price calculator. Um, there are also ones that mimic the FAFSA form and would tell you your student aid index on the federal government website, studentaid.gov. So you could do that. Um, other than that, I would say just keep saving. <laughs> keep saving. All right. And I think we'll probably have a segment on saving um, perhaps later this month um, or certainly later this year. We always come back to that conversation. And uh, it's it's a very important piece of this uh, for those of you who are parents of younger students. Um, Laurie, is there anything that we missed on this uh, intro to financial aid today? I don't think so. But I wanted to just um, plug that we will be talking about it all through February for Financial Aid Awareness Month. That's right. So subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend. It's helpful to get this information out within your communities so that folks aren't leaving money on the table or other sources of support. So Lori, this is a great kickoff to Financial Aid Awareness Month. We really appreciate it. And uh, folks, we're going to take a break and we'll come back to talk about engineering students. So don't go away. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Getting In, a college coach conversation. For my next segment, I'm joined by Joy Biscornet, one of my uh, colleagues here on the college admissions team. Hey, Joy. Welcome to the show. Hey, Ian, it's good to see you again. It's been forever. Like, I've almost forgot we worked together. Um, but now exactly. here we are and and collaborating once more. And we want to talk today about engineering. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'm going to let you go ahead and answer this question. Why are you the right person to come on our show and talk to us today about engineering options? Oh, because I have a history in engineering that a lot of people on our team don't actually know about. So before I got into the wonderful profession of assisting students making their choices and supporting them through the college process, my very first job um, out of college was in the engineering field because I have a Bachelor of Science degree in engineering. So although I no longer use those skills on a daily basis in my professional life, um, I do have some expertise in engineering since I spent four years of my life studying the subject and then several years working in the profession in in different ways. Good. That's great. I was... I would have gotten close to that, I think, if I <laughs> if I had taken it, but but maybe not quite quite so perfectly. Now, I think about engineering as, and this is probably the philosopher in me, right? But like an engineer looks at the world in a particular kind of way and wants to solve problems in the world in a particular kind of way. But there are many different varieties of engineers. 
Now, tell me why I'm wrong about that or right. And, and you know, if that's generally how students should be thinking about engineering opportunities when they're looking at college. I love having this conversation with you because I'm the engineer by training and you're the philosopher by training. Right. So right. I think that we can have a great conversation. So you are correct in terms of engineers looking at the world and with an eye to solve problems. So I think the big difference when people are thinking about what's the difference between a scientist and an engineer is mm-hmm. that a scientist is observing the world and explaining why it is the way it is to us. They're looking for the why. Whereas an engineer is looking at the world to say, how can I create and innovate to solve the problems that we are observing in the world? So a scientist is more a why about the problem. The engineer is more, how can I solve it? So there is a, the, you need to have that scientific background to mm-hmm. be an engineer, right. but it's, it's the application of the scientific foundations that we learn to solve problems in the real world. So yeah, if I'm going to be an engineer and I want to solve problems, I have to understand why they're problems to begin with, because that's going to help me to come up with the best solution. But ultimately, my core mission is how do I figure out a solution to this as opposed to continuing to identify what the problems might be. Right. Because if you're just continuing to identify the problems, that's more of an academic pursuit um, where research comes in. The engineer says, I see the problem and I want to come up with a solution. So if I'm a young student, let's say middle school, let's say early high school, it could even be later high school, but I think by then some students have started to answer this question. But let's say, let's talk mostly about early on. How do I get a sense of whether engineering is right for me? You know, there are a lot of students out there that'll say, I want to be an engineer. But I, when I ask them some of the why, I think they have some challenge in answering that question. What are some experiences that might point a student towards engineering or might help them to feel confident that it's the right choice for them. Mm-hmm. I think if if you find joy or fulfillment in looking at something and saying, how can I fix that? How can I make it better? If you're always looking to say, I don't just want to understand it. I want to make it better. I want to solve a problem. If you're a a student, regardless of how old or young you are, if you find it interesting to solve problems, then I think that's a good sign that engineering might be a path for you. Mm -hmm. Um, If you like to tinker with things, um, you know, there, there are stories of, oh, when I was a kid, I like to pull apart the toaster oven or like put, pull apart an old computer and put it back together. That yeah. wasn't my kind of curiosity. I liked to build things. So I, you know, I didn't have Legos. I had a grandfather who had a, uh, turned his garage into like a, a workshop and he would let me go in and take old like pieces of wood and create things. So I liked working with my hands. I liked seeing something in my mind's eye and seeing how I could actually create it with my with my hands and the tools around me. So those might be some things that if they resonate with you or you're listening and you're a parent and you're saying, yeah, my kid likes to do that, um, then that might be a sign that engineering might be a path for them. Like, you know, I love cleaning my vacuum cleaner because I get to pull it all apart and then put it back together. And I don't, I don't pay attention to where the parts are going because part of the fun is being able to figure out how to get my vacuum oh, no. cleaner back together. No, when I take stuff apart, I'm taking photos all along the way because I do not want to forget where that little thing is supposed to go. But that's the fun of it because then no, you get to take fun. it apart fun, and try man. it again. No, I need this dishwasher to work. <laughs> I need it to work. It's not fun to forget a piece. I think that's also part of that engineering mind or the mindset is that it's trial and error. So it didn't go right the first time. 
try it again. And for for some people, they want to know exactly what they have to do, get it right, follow the directions and done. There is this experimentation or a little bit of adventure to say, yeah, these are the 10 pieces laying on my floor right now that I have to get back into my Dyson. How am I going to do that? If I, I am so quick now at replacing the heating elements in my oven because I did it wrong like three times. And now I could do it like a jackrabbit. And I, I know exactly where to go, exactly how to remove all the parts. So maybe maybe I'll be an engineer one day. Um, well, maybe you'll be the type of person who likes to converse with engineers because you have that right language and vocabulary and you can appreciate the excitement for a more technical subject but you don't want to be the one who designs the solution. I want to talk a little bit about language and vocabulary. There's a couple of different things I want to pick up on here, but this is one that I really want to drill into because I have a lot of students that I work with who are interested in engineering. They want to apply to an engineering school. Great. That's awesome. But they still need to write essays. And often the essays that they need to write need to explain their interest in the major that they've chosen or talk about when they first became interested in the major that they've chosen and different permutations of that kind of question. And I find that the more successful applicants are the ones who are better at talking about what their interests are in this space. So how can students practice this? How do they engage in conversations about what they like about engineering? And how do they avoid the cliche, the conventional, right? Like a lot of, and, and it's not bad to say, I like taking things apart and putting them back together, or I like finding solutions to challenging problems. But I think that there's la- there are layers of complexity and engagement and interest that students can pile onto that to make a more interesting narrative. What's your thought on that? And, and what's some advice that you would give to, to students as they're thinking about that part of the application process? It's really easy to say, I like taking things apart and I'm putting them back together, or I like problem solving. That's superficial. That's kind of where you start in thinking about an interest that you have or trying to get at the, but to try to get at the heart of what it is that drives you or that sparks that interest in engineering, you really have to think about the why behind it. So what are the what are the aspects of building like if you're on the robotics team, what is it about being on the the build team or the build sub team that really engages you? How does it help you learn um, the different concepts that you're that you're using. So I think it's reflection, thinking mm-hmm. about the why behind your interests, and also giving as much attention as as unappetizing as it might sound to writing. You know, you have to be able to communicate effectively regardless of your subject area. And that's a skill. That's a life skill. It's not just something. It's not just a skill that students who are studying the humanities or the social sciences need. You need to effectively communicate throughout your life. And that's one of the reasons why I pursued an engineering degree within a liberal arts college, because I knew that I had to be able to communicate. There is, I think, a, a cliche or a stereotype around engineers that, you know, they they are not good communicators, that um, they're, they're good at solving problems, but they don't speak the same language as people who are outside of the engineering right. world. Right. So if you can develop your writing skills and have conversations with individuals that are outside of your circle. So, you know, if you have friends at school that are not involved in the coding team or not interested in hackathons or whatever it might be that you're interested in, have conversations with them and then try to ask them about what their interests are and then try to explain what you are interested in without using all the technical jargon. I 
I do that with students all the time when we're talking about essays. They'll they'll use abbreviations or they'll they'll talk about equipment that right. I'm unfamiliar with. And I'm saying you have to remember that an engineer is not reading your college essay. Someone who has a philosophy degree is right. reading your essay and they're not going to know what CNC means. So right. you have to be able to explain it to them in layman's terms or non-engineering terms. Okay. And I think reading, writing, having conversations with people that where you have to explain your interests in what may seem like a really simplified way can be so beneficial to the to your future. I agree. And this is something that I really reinforce for younger engineering aspirants, um, aspirants uh, is that it would be really great for them to practice communication, both in terms of engaging with um, inputs in reading and also in terms of writing and speaking about their interests. So I'm glad to hear you say that. And I think it's something that I wouldn't I would want to really stress to folks who are listening, right? This is this is not something that can be undersold. It is very, very important, not just for the admission process, but I think for the long-term success of of professional engineers as well, um, that communication is big. Um, and if I could just give you an example from my college experience. So in any lab that I was taking, I had to do a lab report. So my peers yeah. and I would spend hours in a lab and then we'd have to explain our results. And we were sitting in a computer lab one day trying to write our our lab report. And one of my partners leaned over and he said, you're really good at the writing part. How, how, did, how did you know how to say that? And I took that as a a really big compliment at the time because I didn't think that I was a good writer, but yeah. amongst my peers, I could take what they were saying and synthesize it in a way that you could understand. So, and I started practicing that in college and I took AP English, even though I didn't necessarily want to, because I knew that that was going to help develop a skill that I needed regardless of my profession. Yeah, I was, uh, I happened to have a lunch with a Reed alumna almost a decade ago and we got together and she'd been a physics major at Reed mm -hmm. and she went into optics for a graduate program. She got super interested in, in that area. And I was asking her about her success in that space. And she said, I was about middle of the road in terms of the engineering content. I could hold my own, but I wasn't the best engineer in the space, but I was by far the best at communicating what I was doing and why I was doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that to be really compelling testimony for for that kind of humanity, social science foundation to her, her instruction. And now she works as an engineer for one of the major Silicon Valley companies um, in the optics space even though she started as a physics major at a liberal arts college. So there are a lot of different pathways to engineering outcomes. And I think that, you know, this, this communication ability is something that I wouldn't shy away from if I was a student who's interested in this space. Um, Joy, we might not have to make this another segment where we can talk a little bit about different fields within engineering and lots of different ways that, that engineers create solutions to the problems of the world. Um, in the 30 seconds that we have remaining, is there anything else that you would want ex aspiring engineers to understand um, heading in, especially these juniors that are applying this fall? Uh, communication is so important, developing those skills as we talked about. But also, if you are really interested in engineering, I can't stress enough that you have to have a deep interest in math and physics. Like math and physics are at the root of your engineering curricula. So if you if you don't like math and physics, engineering might not be the right fit for you and that's okay. If someone had told me that, that might have changed my decision. Well, you ended up where you're making a huge impact all the time, right? In a roundabout way, you had to stop with engineering and you did some other really interesting stuff and now you're here with us at College Coach and helping families understand this stuff, which is great, right? Right. You I'm using it. my engineering degree in a different way. That's right. Exactly. Joy, yeah. thanks for coming on the show. This is fun. Thanks, Ian. All right, folks. When we come back, we are doing our final segment of the day, which is how you can support 
your high achieving students. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results, 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, I'm your host, Ian Fisher. We've got our last segment of the day today. And our focus here is on high-achieving students. Not just high-achieving students, but what parents can do in order to support their high-achieving students. And joining me for this conversation is my colleague, DJ Mian. Hey, DJ, welcome to the show. Hey, Ian. Good so to be you- here. You have worked pretty closely with families in prior work uh, at an independent school. Uh, You've seen a lot of high-achieving students, both as a former admission officer and as a counselor here with College Coach and in your school. I want to just start just by thinking about um, what we're talking about when we say high-achieving students and when we can start to identify that our students are in that bucket. So if I'm a parent, how do I know that I've got a high achieving student, um, and, and how early can I make that pronouncement? It's a good, a good question. Well, I mean, a high achieving student is going to be taking advantage is going to be in sort of the highest track available, um, generally at their high school, right. Or in, in, in higher levels, maybe not in also across all subjects, but, um, at least in, in, in most, if not all subjects, um, and yeah, I mean, that's right. Like it's, it's going to be sort of an academically sort of motivated student who might be looking at, right, selective, um, admissions options, right. For college. That's right. Um, yeah. Which is not all, <laughs> but a small sliver, right. Of, of, of college. Okay, so, so typically schools we're talking about that are top 20, 25, most selective schools, that doesn't mean that these students are necessarily going to get into those schools because there are many high achieving students that do not, but it tends to be that the students that we would call high achieving are going to be targeting this, these schools. They're going to get mostly A's, if not all A's, uh, they're going to be in the hardest classes, as you point out. Um, what about outside of the classroom? Is there any component to extracurricular engagement or just mm-hmm. Um, general social disposition that are that is characteristic of a high achieving student, or, or are there all flavors of high achieving student in terms of personality? I mean, I think they're all flavors, right? Um, and that's the beauty of it. They're 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 all flavors. Generally speaking, though, I think you know high achieving students outside of their academic life are busy, right? Um, and whether that's through kind of more formal sort of structured school involvements, athletics, um, the arts, um, or they're just working, you know, and just like be, being yeah. a great student. Yeah. 
um, and keep him busy. Um, that's sort of the prescription, right, for for admission um, <laughs> to, to, to these sort of selective schools. It's really sort of demonstrating a track record um, of being the kind of young person who sort of takes initiative, um, who, you know, is, has been working intentionally on softer skills outside of the classroom, like leadership skills, um, you know, formal leadership, like, you know, like having titles, yes, in clubs and organizations, but also, you know, maybe being um, a great sibling, uh, a responsible community member. Colleges want to get a sense, um, selective schools want to get a sense of students' sort of character and engagement, right? Is this somebody we want to have on our campus? And, you know, are, are they doing stuff, meaningful stuff with their time outside of outside of the classroom? So um, that's the general profile. Always, again, though, all kinds of, I think, flavors. And, <laughs> that's right. And prescriptions, but, um, but just young people that are engaged. You know, I, I used to say, um, only half facetiously, and I, and I know a lot of gamers would, would like, you know, talk back to me about this, but, you know, I, I would, colleges want to see a track record that when you have free time, you're not sitting around playing video games all the time, you know, that right. so there's, there's a time and a space for that, right? But, but that there are other things in your life too, that, um, that are also, also meaningful that, that you, yeah, that you're willing to commit time to. One of the things that I've observed about many of the high achieving students that I've worked with here is that the they are certainly busy, but they're not necessarily stressed about that busyness. That doesn't mean that they don't get stressed and that they don't sometimes feel overwhelmed, but they also manage it really well. Um, and it's something that fuels them, right? They get excited by that engagement. And I think it's really important for parents to understand making your kid busy doesn't make them high achieving, right? So if you're saying we got to get more stuff on your calendar, you have too much idle time. That's not necessarily the recipe for success in this space. It's about finding the right kinds of activities that are motivating and stimulating for students. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And that could be getting a part-time job. Like that could be the kind of thing, right? Like that could be yeah. doing something else. But um, I think once parents get into the job of prescribing, <laughs> Um, also, this is going to be natural pushback, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The medicine my mom told me I had to take, and that's not the lesson um, that we want students to take away from this experience in terms of thinking about their college application and being competitive for admission, right? The lesson is, right? We we want you to to kind of you have this talent, you have these opportunities, you have this time, right? We we want you to grow up to be a person who also. Right, Rose. These are habits that we want you to develop, right? That's right. That's right. Not just um, boxes that we want you to check for the sake of, of the admissions process. You know, um, a lot of families ask about you know community service. You know, and they're out there like right. forcing the right. kids to do like the hour. And I I tell them a story again, and I only share this with parents. But I have a dear friend. He's a wonderful person. He's one of my best friends in the world. I love him. If he hears this, you know, <laughs> I'm talking about it. Um, but he, he just finished, like, uh, you know, recently finished 100 hours of community service that was court ordered, right? Because he had, like, a, a traffic violation, movie violation that was pretty serious, right? And so um, he's a wonderful person. Doesn't that negate, right? But it was court ordered. He had to do it, like, I'm not, right? Like, that was forced. And that's, you know, colleges also, again, that sense of doing things for the sake of, um doesn't it is sort of a shrug of the shoulders but students who are doing things because right they, if you are service oriented and that really you know fuels your heart and is the way you love to spend your time great um but i've worked with plenty of like delightful young people wonderful young people um who didn't do any formal or structured service right but they were great they're wonderful members of our community and that came through in their application the application right. process also creates space for character to come through in other ways, not just the choices that you make with your extracurricular. I think that's right. Now, I've seen a handful of students that I would consider to be high achieving that are really great at being independent and finding their own opportunities and their parents just kind of sit back and the student does most things. That's pretty rare, though, and I, I don't think that we would say that that's always going to happen. There are some circumstances where students might need a little nudge from a parent. They are still getting their feet underneath them. You want to preserve some element of independence, but there can be some, hey, I looked at these three summer programs and they seem interesting to me. Which one do you find to be most mm -hmm. interesting? Um, what's the right 
I mean, I think probably every student is different. And so there's no prescription, right, that we're going to put out there for, for parents to follow. But how do you know when you're doing too much in terms of the nudge in a particular direction? And how do you know when you're getting it right and, and showing students opportunities that are exciting to them? Yeah. I think parents who approach the process thinking themselves as, as a coach right there to provide tips, to answer questions that, you know, like insert suggestions. Um, those are the, right. Like, again, seeing this, this is the process itself is a learning opportunity. Right. And frankly, it's also a test of your college readiness. Um, there are some moving parts in the application process. It does require some relatively sophisticated, you know, administrative and executive functioning skills. Um, but so does going to a highly selective college 12 months later. Right. Right. And so that's where sort of parents, again, have to see this process as an opportunity for their students, right, to kind of get their sea legs with a project like this. And it's going to trusting, right, that um, <laughs> that they need to do this, right? Otherwise, right, they, they may, yeah, they might short circuit, <laughs> right, a really important they do. learning opportunity. Yeah. Um, and compromise the students, you know, success, which is really demoralizing for a semester freshman year to feel like, again, like you're out, you know, you're out of your league because, you know, your well-intentioned parents might have inter intervened a little too heavily um, in the administration of the process. Um, when is too far, you know, for ex so I have worked with parents, bless their hearts, who um, will slip into pronoun usage of we and I um, when referring to parts of the administration. Yeah. That, that is slipping too far. So, you know, part of this process will challenge your students, for example, to communicate with admissions officers, right? Via email, maybe an alum, if they're having an interview, they might have to send it, an, you know, an email. Um, they need to be the one authoring, right? Yes. And, and sending these emails. But it's okay for a 16-year-old to ask mom or dad, like, hey, do you mind editing this? <laughs> like, or can sure. you give me some tips? Yeah. Because I'm not used to writing a professional email. Like, that's, you know, that's coaching. Um, you writing the email to the admissions office, right, is 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 overstepping and 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 doing your student a disservice. And with that that we language that you pointed out, I sometimes see students start to use that language. And that's that's really a sign that it's gone too far, right? When a student starts start saying, well, next year we're taking AP Correct. English. And it's like, no, no, you're taking that that class. That's on you to take it. And and so if you start to recognize that in your student where they're considering it to be a collective effort as opposed to their effort, I think mm -hmm. that, that probably you're you're too much in that driver's seat, you know, like kind of holding the wheel and steering for them as they're supposed to be driving that car. Right. And unfortunately, you know, anecdotally, um, I've had too many experiences of seeing students re really struggle. Um, first and second semester, um, maybe transfer, maybe, you know, again, and that is just demoralizing. And, and, and I think, again, a missed opportunity when we think about, we think about this, this process, they can manage it, you know, um, but you can be there to guide them, you know, and insert some guidance um, without, without authoring it. I would say, you know, the same is true of, of the writing of the actual application process itself. Mm -hmm. You know, it should be a true reflection of, of their ability, of, of their thought, of their critical thinking, you know, like, um, and, and once we start to tinker too aggressively in, into the, the writing, into the crafting of the application, uh, you're also overstepping, right? Um, yeah, I would agree. We have to keep in mind here that we still do have high achieving students. And so they are always to be very successful, not just in college, but in life beyond. And there can be certain action here that can be to their detriment, that can actually make it harder for them to be successful in college, that can take away their ability to be independent because we're trying to optimize admission to a particular school. But whenever I meet a student who's already high achieving, I'm less worried about where they go and more interested in supporting their ability to be successful when they get there because they already have all these great tools at their disposal that will allow them to make the most of any educational experience that they have. And so I, I think it can sometimes be 
uh, a mistake to prioritize getting into a school as the objective when in fact it's success when you get there that that truly matters absolutely the process and yeah blooming where you're planted right um and 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 that lesson right not yeah not overemphasizing that outcome as much as right the process um yeah i, w- I want to ask you Words of affirmation, I think, could be really helpful, and it can be very important coming from parents in this process. And it's a process that goes up and down. There are stresses. There are setbacks sometimes. How can a parent – what are some some things that maybe you've seen that just help center the student and let them know, I've got your back, right? Mom and dad are here um, mm-hmm. to be supportive of you. Um, I, I think that would be some great advice if we could move to that space. Yeah. Um, I mean, a couple of things, you know, being, being present, right. And caring about the process. I mean, I've definitely worked with, you know, wonderful parents who were engaged and cared about their kids and, you know, checked in periodically, <laughs> but were otherwise, you know, hands off. I think giving students some space, respecting that they can do it themselves, I think is one affirmation, right? Again, not interfering is affirming our trust in their ability to do Right, which is important, and I think an important right. affirmation. Um, I, you know, it's having a balanced list is something that I think actually too is, is something that a parent usually has a little bit more <laughs> sort of intervention in, yeah. um, and can be a space where again a parent can kind of be proactive in looking to protect um, their student's heart in this process. Right. Um, I think that's that's a space where a parent can and should be intentional in understanding the balance on the list, what we're shooting for um, and and keeping things balanced. Right. Um, a couple of pieces of bad news. Failure is a good thing in life. Like we all learn from failure. Right. And we can all take a couple of pieces of bad news, but a stack of bad news. Right. Um, can be also really demoralizing. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Right. And so that's where being smart um, as, as a family, right, and having some balance, but as a, as a parent, also being vigilant, I think, um, and making sure that the student is approaching the process with some, like, in, in a measured way that isn't going to beat them up, um, okay, which, which can happen. And I think that's, that's another piece of it is, like, understanding that failure is going to come, but we have some control over it as, as a family, and moderating it um, so that it's a little bit more gentle of a process. Right. I, I think that ability to see the whole picture and understand those ups and downs will come. It's how you react to them and how you absorb mm-hmm. them as a as a family that I think makes makes all the difference. DJ, I think those, those that's helpful wisdom to end on and, and really appreciate you coming on the show to talk through some of this today. My pleasure. It was fun to see you again. Yeah, it's always great to see you. I'll see you, see you next week too. Um, <laughs> next week on the radio show, we're going to be talking about the transfer process, both uh, for students applying to colleges around the country and for the specifics of the California transfer system. We'll also have a special guest on the show, the Director of Financial Aid from the University of Wisconsin-Madison to talk through certain aspects of financial aid. So we look forward to having you back here again next week. Remember, give us a five-star rating, subscribe, tell your friends. We're always happy to have more listeners. And in the meantime, have a great February. Happy Leap Year. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit GetIntoCollege.com.